This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Is it ever permissible for a Christian to refuse to submit to government? One of the go-to biblical passages on this issue is Romans 13. I'm going to read some of it here in verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, I know there's a lot in that passage, but how should we apply it in our own day and context and under our form of government, which is a constitutional republic based on the organized principle of federalism. This really matters because, as my next guest says, many pastors today, either intentionally or unintentionally, are shackling Christians with a flawed interpretation of Romans 13 that says we have to submit to authority no matter what. Is that really what Romans 13 is teaching? We're going to tackle this very important subject today with Dan Fisher. Dan is co-pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, travels the country as well with his acclaimed presentation called Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment and has served two terms in the Oklahoma legislature. He ran for governor as well. And today we'll be talking about his book called Unlimited Submission? Question mark. Dan, great to have you with us again. How are you doing? Janet, I am doing well. It is so good to be with you. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for asking, and it's a delight to bring you back. I know the last time we talked, we had hit upon this issue of Romans 13, and I said, I got to get you back. We got to do an hour (laughs) on Romans 13, because we do hear a lot of this these days, don't we? Submit, Christians. Romans 13 says, submit to government, period, end of story. Why are people saying that, do you think? Well, Janet, I believe they're saying it for a couple of reasons at least. One is they've always been taught that by their pastors. Uh, I have to admit that most of my life, uh, that's what I've heard. Romans 13 says submit. You better submit or you're sinning if you don't. I think the second reason is it's often the path of least resistance. We, We live in a day when church growth is everything when pastors are CEOs of large religious organizations, and the last thing they want is controversy. And they don't want to get crossways with political issues or political leaders. And so it's just easier to take the road uh, of submission and say, hey, that's what the Bible says, and that's what we're going to do. Obviously, I don't believe that's what Paul was saying, as we'll get into later, but I think that's the reason they've been taught it, and it's it's the easiest way, at least for now. 
Yeah. Well, so much is in what you just said there that we're going to get to. But I, I think when you look at what's happening right now, it's a weird time, isn't it, Dan, to be saying yeah. Romans 13 means sit down and shut up. What? <laughs> that seems just the timing of it seems a little suspect to me. I, I'm not trying to dwell on the issue of, you know, conspiracy theories or anything sure. like that. But has there ever been a time in your life when we had to get Romans 13 right more than this moment? No. No, it is critical now that we get it right. Uh, and, you know, some of the guys that have been voices for the wrong interpretation are now coming around. Um, a preacher that I have utmost respect for, John MacArthur, for years has been a proponent of the unlimited submission position. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's even said that the United States was actually born out of a violation of New Testament principles. Yep. But lately, with what's going on in uh, King Newsom's um, uh, kingdom uh, over there on the left coast in California, uh, John MacArthur has found a new understanding of Romans 13. And Praise God. Yep. Standing up against government. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe he did have some type of epiphany and he realized, wow, maybe I've uh, seen this passage wrong. Uh, regardless of why, he's on the right side of it now, and I'm thankful. Yeah, I am too. I'm really thankful. I'm really, really thankful. Let's talk a little bit about authority here. What qualifies as proper authority? Because you make the point that unlimited authority is not really the gist of what Romans 13 is trying to teach us. What is the proper understanding from the Word of God on the issue of submitting to the authority of the government? Yeah, well, Paul defines very clearly what a proper government is. And it's, it's, it's very simple. Your, your listeners know it. Uh, a proper government rewards the doers of good and punishes the doers of evil. Mm-hmm. And that's why Paul says, be fearful of the government, because if you do wrong, you're going to fall under its heavy hand, and rightfully so. So actually, the the purpose of government is very, very simple. And Jefferson uh, had it almost word for word with with Paul when he wrote in the Declaration that the job of government is to protect our rights and, of course, ultimately to go after those who would try to infringe upon them. So that's proper authority, and it goes beyond governmental authority. Janet, we could take this into the authority of the government of a church, Mm -hmm. uh, the home, I mean, no one in their right mind would believe that a church should have to put up with a heretical pastor just because he's in a position of authority doesn't mean that he's infallible. Or, you know, a husband being a tyrant to his family or so on, and we may come back to that later. But the, the, the point is, proper authority uses that authority in a God given, designed way. If it isn't, it's improper. Yeah, that's right. That That's yeah. such an important principle to start with. So what about all of these biblical examples as well of people who violated the government and went against what they were told to do by their people in authority? I mean, we see an awful lot of people like this. We see Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Esther and the apostles. I mean, that's a pretty long list when you start compiling those passages. Well, it is. And what is really interesting is you take the Hebrew midwives. Yeah, uh, They defied Pharaoh, and, and God not only approves of their defiance, he blesses them. True, And, and the same could be said for Daniel and his buddies and uh, countless others. But, you know, we can even leapfrog out of biblical history 
and and talk about just history in general. Look at look at how we applaud people like Corey Ten Boom yes. or Oscar Schindler. They went against the authorities of their day, and rightfully so. And, and so we applaud them, or, or uh, Harriet Tubman, yep. or, or any number of others who helped to free uh, runaway slaves. We, we applaud them. We applaud Martin uh, uh, Luther King Jr., you know, because of his stand against the Jim Crow laws and, and uh, all kinds of uh, prejudice in those days. We know intuitively, we know instinctively that we're not supposed to submit to evil authorities, and that's why we celebrate these people. Sure, Uh, We know it, it's just somehow we've allowed our preachers and our spiritual leaders to to mislead us, either intentionally or unintentionally, using these first five verses or so of the the 13th chapter of the Book of Romans. Right, and interestingly enough, even the Lord defied the Jewish authorities, right? He didn't want to obey their, their Sabbath rules that were laid on the people unbiblically. So even the Lord himself showed civil disobedience, if you want to call it that. It's exactly right. And, and something that your listeners may not have ever considered, but those Jewish laws, now we're not talking about the Ten Commandments here, we're talking about laws that the Pharisees had uh, installed into their culture were just as binding as Roman laws. They, they were governmental authorities. Now, they were ruling under the permission of the Roman Empire, no doubt, but their laws were still laws. Yep. And Jesus said, your laws are in conflict with God's word and God's laws, and I'm going to disregard them. And that's very significant for people to keep in mind when we dive into Romans 13 and especially the context. Hermeneutics matters. We're going to get into that with Dan Fisher when we come back. His book is called Unlimited Submission. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. If you could provide God's Word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's Word. Everyone wants to read the Bible. But what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an 
insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dan Fisher. He is co-pastor at Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, former Oklahoma state representative and author of Unlimited Submission, how Romans 13, 1 through 5 has been incorrectly used to silence Christians and the church. Okay, Dan, let's talk a little bit about the passage itself. These five verses right at the beginning of Romans 13, you talk about the importance of hermeneutics and obviously context is very vital for us to understand. Tell us what the context was here because that helps us to understand what kind of situation Paul was speaking in at the time. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think you hit it on the head, Janet. That's the key. So let's begin with when Paul wrote the letter to the Christians in Rome. It's disputed, but, but pretty much everyone agrees that he wrote Romans somewhere around 56 to 57 A.D. He was probably in Corinth when he wrote the letter, and the, the Jews had been expelled from some of the Roman provinces because there were Jewish Christians who said, we have no law but God, and they flaunted the law almost in arrogance. And so this caused a mass deportation. Paul is alarmed at this because he's trying, under the, the, the leadership of God, to plant New Testament churches all around the world, and he's concerned that these Roman Christians are going to run so afoul of the law that the church is going to be damaged itself hmm. and the cause of Christ, the gospel. Sure. So he's writing to these Christians, telling them that they do have an obligation to do their very best to cooperate with those in authority, as long as they're not asked to uh, uh, contradict God's word, uh, betray their own consciences, then they need to do their very, very best. And that would be true for us here in the United States of America or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, it's also important to recognize that though a lot of people say, so see, Paul is telling them to submit to that evil Nero. Well, the truth is Nero did not become the, the monster that we remember him as being until about 64 A.D. Hmm. So when Paul writes Romans, Nero... And the Christians are coexisting in kind of a, a touchy but functional coexistence. Uh, Nero has not attacked the church. It's not until uh, Rome burns, Seneca, uh, uh, Nero's counselor is gone, and, and of course Nero blames the Ro burning of Rome on the Christians and begins this mass persecution of Christians that we remember him as. Mm -hmm. But uh, when, when Paul writes Romans... It's a little bit different story than that, and, and so context would tell us that Paul is not telling these Roman Christians to submit to a tyrant. And I think that's very critical in our understanding that we know that historical context. That's good. That's very important. So when he's talking about there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God, 
it, it seems to me it's it's helpful to look back, for example, to the Old Testament and the series of different kings that came along. And you had a whole lot of kings that were bad. And we understand <laughs> some that were good and they were all appointed by God. We understand that. But people sometimes get confused about that. Well, so is it okay for me to commit civil disobedience against a bad guy who is elected, you know, for whatever position around me and is doing something I don't like? You know, where are the boundaries in terms of deciding it's time for some civil disobedience here? And this becomes really important even in the COVID era, because I think these churches that have stood up have done the right thing. They have gone through the system. You don't just start out by, you know, going off the rails, you have to go through the system as much as you can. What what do you say to all that? Okay. Well, first of all, the fact that Israel had had kings was already a betrayal of God to begin with. True, yeah. Because if you remember, when they said to God, we want a king, God said, I'm your king. You're not going to like an earthly king. This (laughs) is not the proper form of governance for you. And of course, they said, oh, no, 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 no. We want a king anyway. And he said, okay, then you're going to pay the price for this. So they did. But if you jump forward to the New Testament, Paul is not the only one who deals with this subject of submitting to authority. Peter also, almost verbatim, says the same things that Paul says. Now, here's the interesting point. Both Paul and Peter found themselves constantly uh, in conflict with the government, so much so that they both end up being martyred. Now, so then, are they telling us, you submit while we don't submit? Hmm. I mean, Paul even, as you know, calls upon his own Roman citizenship to prevent from receiving an unlawful beating. He did. Okay, so, so here's the limit. The limit is, we don't have grounds to resist when there's just some policy that we disagree with. We're not talking here about tax law or you know, environmentalism. What we're talking about is when the government becomes tyrannous and begins to flip it upside down, and rather than protecting those who do good and keep the law, they protect those who do evil and break the law, and then they begin to punish the doers of good. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here is tyranny. Yep. And, and when government begins to do that, and by obeying the government, we by definition have to start disobeying God, then, then we have cause for standing up and saying, no, we will not obey this, and we'll just face the consequences, whatever they are. Yeah, and we've seen some of this. We've seen, for example, in Portland, Antifa can just do whatever it wants, and even if yeah. they do arrest them, they're immediately bailed out with the help of people like Kamala Harris who are calling for these people to be bailed out. And on the other hand, you have churches who are told, you can't meet, and we're going to let the liquor stores and the abortion clinics open just like they've always been open. Now yeah. you're, you're entering into... A form of soft tyranny, I would argue, that is unacceptable. So this was the point at which a lot of these churches said enough is enough. We have to stand up because if you don't, you get more of your freedoms taken away. And our freedoms, as our founders understood, come to us from God. So government is really usurping the power of God in some respects, yeah. isn't it? When, when it's trying right. to play God with us? Exactly, exactly. And and see, when Paul says that all of these authorities are from God, he doesn't necessarily mean the individual in the position. I mean, Hitler, there's no way that Hitler was God's choice. Right. Mussolini was not God's choice. What God is talking about there is the concept of authority 
and proper understanding of that authority and the position itself, not the, the uh, person necessarily. So when, in your introduction, I think you, you hit the most important point as far as how we understand Romans 13 to function here in these United States. We are a representative constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. And when you read our birth certificate, which is the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson and his committee make it very clear from God to the people directly. And then the people create governments to protect their rights. Mm -hmm. Now, the left says that rights come from God to the government, and then the government, and, and sometimes they'll even totally exclude God in the equation. So government has control of our rights, and they'll just dole them out as they see fit. In fact, Chris Cuomo, a few years ago, in an interview with Judge Roy Moore, literally said, our rights do not come from God, they come from men. Sounds like him. <laughs> I remember well, yeah, that. So, but here's yeah. the thing. If they do, Janet, then those same men can take them away. Right, right. And this is why, of course, our framers made it so clear that our rights are unalienable, meaning that we cannot be alienated from them because God gave them. Correct. And the job of government, then, is to protect those rights. So in a republic where that government functions at the consent of the governed, where the people are the authority, not the government, well, then we have to read Romans 13 through that prism. We have to look, it, look at it through that lens. We're not a dictatorship. So, so you take Paul and the other apostles. They had very little opportunity to affect their government because they lived under a dictatorship. What are you going to do? Uh, you have very few options. But in a representative republic, the people are the government. Right. And see, that's something that Americans have lost if we never, maybe we never knew it, <laughs> certainly in our generation, but that government is the servant of the people who hold the authority, not the other way around. But today, people just fawn over governmental officials and, uh, you know, oh, Senator so-and-so is going to be there. And, you know, look, they work for us. Sure, right. And, and, and that changes everything. It sure does. Well, here's another question as well, Dan. Okay. I think this is an important thing for people to understand. When it says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. What does that mean? What is Paul talking about there? Well, what Paul is talking about is in a proper understanding and function and role of government, if government is punishing the evildoers then those who do evil are going to fall under the judgmental hand of the government, even to the point of where Paul says government doesn't bear the sword in vain, which means capital punishment. Right. But in a proper government, government would not be persecuting those who do good. Correct. Right. They'll be protecting those who do good. So you take, for instance, all of this stuff going on about the elections and the fraud, which seems to me to be fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. It is the role of government to get to the bottom of that. But what is our government doing right now? Hiding it. Mm-hmm. The courts are running away from it. They don't even want to hear the arguments. They don't want to see the evidence. They just write it off. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not even going to mess with this. Well, they're now beginning to function in the opposite of what Paul said was proper governance. They're, they're not protecting our rights. They're not protecting our electoral system and so everything is working backwards 
from what Paul would have uh, prescribed. So yeah. as long as one obeys proper government, they have no fear of government. They've not done anything wrong. But the key word there is proper, and I think that's very important. We're going to take another break. We'll be back with Dan Fisher talking about unlimited submission at Romans 13. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. This is something important for us to understand. What does Romans 13, 1 through 5 mean? Does it mean that Christians always have to submit to the government regardless of how tyrannical it is? Or should we understand it in the context in which Dan Fisher is explaining? And clearly, you know where I stand. I think Dan's spot on about all of this. And it has to do with our form of government. And it has to do with a proper understanding of authority under God. Which brings me to our day here, Dan, because I really want to get into this and try to help people think it through. When we are looking at government, as you just mentioned before the break, refusing to do its job, if you really did have election interference or uh, fake ballots, dead people voting and, and people were disenfranchised through the election and somebody who should have won, President Trump, did not win, which is what a lot of millions of Americans believe, and they try to get a hearing in court and the courts won't hear the cases, what is like 60 cases or something, they, they won't hear, Supreme Court won't hear the case. This becomes utterly crisis oriented i would say because you yes. you say if the how do you maintain a republic when there is no respect for the rule of law and if you can't even get into the issue of a potentially stolen presidential election that could permanently destroy any reason for even voting because now we know one side is just going to steal everything where do you go from here and how does romans 13 maybe apply in this situation yeah. well first of all you don't maintain a republic in that situation. That's the antithesis of a republic. It is. So that's the first thing. Banana republic. That, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> the second thing is, is I think you look at the prescription that is found in the Declaration of Independence. And, and I know I've, I've quoted from the Declaration a number of times, but the reason why is because most Americans are not very familiar with not only what the Declaration says, but the role it played in our, our framing most people will refer to the Constitution. Actually, the Constitution does not have the basic principles of our republic. It's, it, those are found in the Declaration. Mm-hmm. The, the Constitution is just a way to ensure that what the Declaration declares is carried out. Right. It's, just, it's, it's kind of our operations manual. But our Bible is the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And, and if you go to the Declaration, I often compare it to a church constitution. Most churches have a constitution. But the but pastor doesn't get up every Sunday morning and say, turn in your church constitutions <laughs> to page 25, and let's look at paragraph 6 of section 4. I mean, we don't do that. We turn to our Bibles. Sure. And so our Bible is the Declaration. Well, in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson clearly lays out what should be done if a government ceases to function 
in its proper role. He says the government's job is to protect our rights. Now, what if the government ceases to do that? Well, he actually says, if a government, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if a government ceases to do its job, it is not only the right of the people, it is the duty of the people to do three things. And it's what I call DEFCON 3 to DEFCON 1. DEFCON 3, it's not all that bad, so you alter it. You go back and you make corrections because we're at DEFCON 3. If you haven't done that, then you've moved to DEFCON 2, and he says abolish it. That means you start over with a clean slate. Mm -hmm. But if you've still sat on your hands and not done your duty as a citizen, and you've allowed it to go to, 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 to DEFCON 1, then you've allowed it to become a tyranny, and you have to throw it off. Right. And then he says, once you've done that, if you have to reorganize or if you have to throw it off, then you institute new government that will do its job. I, I'll be honest with you, Janet. I believe if the framers were alive today, they would be appalled that we haven't already done this. Mm, true. Yeah. So, so here we are in a republic, but it doesn't function as a republic. Well, now... We're no longer in Romans 13 territory, except in reverse. Now we have a government that isn't doing what government is supposed to do. So I believe it is time for citizens to begin to civilly discuss what are citizens to do according to our own birth certificate, not according to Dan Fisher, not according to Donald Trump, not even according to Janet Mefford, no. <laughs> but <laughs> according to our Declaration of Independence, what is the remedy when the government doesn't do its job? Yep. We do have to start That's talking about are. that. Well, the thing is, if you, you know, if you have all of these documents, it's kind of like the way the left has been treating the Constitution for years at the Supreme Court and some of these other activist judge benches, where, yeah. you know, the Constitution is living and breathing and it changes with the times. <laughs> and, you know, you have a Scalia who comes along and just decimates that entire thing. But if our rule of law becomes just a piece of paper that we can wad up and throw out at any time. Yes. How do you have any good faith left with anybody who is willing don't. to do that? You don't have any good faith. No, you don't. And this is why uh, almost 20, I, don't, I, I think the, the count was 17, 18, something like that, states that, that sided with Texas in their lawsuit that the Supreme Court threw out. That's right. This is why those states did that. Uh, and I'm beginning to argue, you know, there's a part of our country that really doesn't want a republic. I agree. They, they don't really want the declaration. They don't want freedom of speech. They don't want freedom of religion. They don't want limited government. They, they want cradle to grave. They want um, a speech that they don't like to be regulated and censored. That's already happening at the corporate level now. Uh, so I'm beginning to argue maybe it's time for the people who want a republic to begin to say, you know, what do we do to preserve the republic, because if we leave it up to those who don't want it, they're going to destroy it, yeah. and they will take us down with them in the process. Well, and it's beyond just our own borders, as we all know. It's not just a, a bunch of 
you know, bad people in Congress or bad people at the state level like Cuomo or some of these tyrants like Newsom. They're they're not alone. They have a lot of globalist support. We understand about the Great Reset that was put forth by Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum several years in 2014. And now people are beginning to pay attention. Hey, wait a minute. When they're talking about using COVID-19 as an opportunity to move us into the Great Reset and get rid of traditional capitalism, now you're talking about taking away people's private property and to know that there are people right to know that there are people in our government who are fine with that and they're being dishonest about it and you you put that together with all of the people who are open supporters of socialism millions of people are now realizing especially in the wake of this election conflict and crisis hey wait a minute we're coming upon times we've never seen before what do we do i mean What do we do, Dan? We don't want to overreact. We don't want to have a civil war. We don't want to do any of that. But we want to be free. And we have people who don't want us to be free anymore. And they live right here. And they're American citizens as well. A lot of them in charge of us. So what's to be done? Well, I think we have to begin to, to think about and to discuss openly certain difficult subjects. Like, for instance, what do you do when two parties are irreconcilably divided? What, what, what if their, their beliefs are so divergent that they cannot be made compatible, mm-hmm. such as life begins at conception and therefore is human life, and to take that is murder, or the other side that says oh, life begins sometime after birth, we're not sure when, mm-hmm. but sometime. How can you make those two positions compatible? Yeah. You, you can't. No. So yeah. we have to begin to have that discussion. The other discussion that we've we've got to begin to have is, did the framers, and and are we today, locked into some kind of suicide pact where, regardless of what we do, it's just whoever can pull off the win at the next ballot box, and given the kind of fraud that happened this last time, I'm not sure there will ever be another fair election as long as programs like Dominion can be used where you can just literally flip votes inside the program itself. So how can we have faith in that kind of a government? And I would argue that we can't. And the longer we sit here idle, worried about what does Romans 13 say? Now, as a a student of God's Word, I care deeply about what Romans 13 says, but I care based upon a proper understanding of Scripture— and not this spineless rollover and play dead uh, position that is has been so popular, Janet, through my lifetime. You're right, Dan. Hang on a moment. We have to pause for one more break. Unlimited Submission is the name of the book. Dan Fisher with us, and we'll be back right after this on Janet Effort Today. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more, free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. 
The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support Preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855 855- 585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I think we can all agree that we really need to get a handle on what Romans 13 actually means for us as Christians, especially during the times in which we're living right now. Dan Fisher is with us, pastor at Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he also is a wonderful author, and he has a presentation called Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, which is phenomenal. His book is called Unlimited Submission. Let's go back to this. Uh, Dan, this is a difficult discussion because everybody, you know, doesn't want to talk about it. It's very unsettling to talk about the future of America. What do you do when you have irreconcilable parties? And and really beyond that, what do you have when one party or a, a lot of people in one party want to undo the country and the other half, the other people in the other party want to save it? It, it is irreconcilable. Now, for example, you've had people like Alan West and the Texas Republican Party talk about the issue of secession. That's not going to be done, not only because it's against the law, but also because when you compare to what went on during the time of the Civil War, there was regional unity. And, you know, it didn't work then either. But, you know, this talk of secession, I think, really is more a talk of people who are desperate going, what do we do to quickly get out of this? I mean, how do you see that whole discussion? Well, Janet, here's, here's the thing. Our framers faced the same dilemma in 1776 it seemed impossible to extricate themselves from the British crown. Right. But they just did it. I mean, they just did it. Uh, You're familiar with the first seal that was proposed for our country, uh, proposed by Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and John Adams. It said around the outside circle, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just believed that. Now, you know... I'm one who believes that we need to have a thorough discussion of the whole subject of of the right to free association and secession, not as we saw it take place in 1861, but as we just saw Great Britain do with the EU. Brexit, Brexit. that Mm -hmm. was secession. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scotland 
uh, voted within just a few thousand votes to secede from the UK. Now their reason was terrible. The UK is not liberal enough. <laughs> but but my but my point is, are we just going to say, well, uh, we'll just bide our time? Because I can tell you that the left doesn't want to play fair, and they won't play nice. No, they literally believe that people like you and I are the problem. And we need to be taken out of the way. Now, I don't necessarily know what that means, but I know what it means in history. Sure. I I completely understand. And so, uh, to me, the time is critical. And if we don't begin to talk about these things, I think we're going to have some kind of conflict forced upon us. Yeah. And no, no one wants that. I certainly don't want that. I don't either. But at the same time, when a president, when a congressman, when a senator, even at the state level, when you're sworn in, you swear to defend the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic. And they haven't done it, a lot of them. We, we haven't done it. And not only that, but there is a large portion of, if not mostly all of it, a party that says they are bent on remaking America. Well, that is defined as the enemy of the original America. I know. I know. Um, It's almost like there's cognitive dissonance. It's almost like people just can't believe what they're seeing. They're so thrown. Yeah, they're so thrown off by the events of this year alone, where you have the pandemic and the riots and Black Lives Matter and, you know, people losing their businesses and it's just on and on and on. And then a presidential election. It kind of looks that way, doesn't it? (laughs) It almost looks like it was a strategy. Uh And, you know, for me, I I don't run around looking for conspiracies, but I do know that conspiracies exist, where two or three people get together and come up with some plan to undo something. That's conspiracy. Sure. Um, I mean, the framing, our framers, I call them the framers because the founders to me were the pilgrims. So the framers were the Madisons and the the Jeffersons. Uh, They were conspirators. I mean, they were conspiring to declare their independence from Great Britain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, conspiracies are not all bad. Uh, They created the committees of correspondence where they would communicate with one another. They created committees of safety that their job was to begin to organize um, militias and to procure ammunition. Now, I'm talking about 1770s and 60s. I'm not suggesting that I'd like to go start shooting my neighbors. No. But, you know, Janet, there comes a point when we're so fearful of these foreign powers that want to do us harm that we've ignored the internal forces that want to do us harm. I mean, look at what is happening in California. John MacArthur, one of the most famous pastors in America today, has been threatened with prison time for having church. Right. An independent Baptist pastor there in California, his church has already been fined over $112,000. Yes, it's crazy. I mean, would you believe that we would have faced this time? And you know, isn't it significant, Dan? Isn't it significant to see how few churches, relatively speaking, have taken on the fight? I mean, you're exactly right. That's that. And that is indicative of the sickness, spiritual sickness within the visible body of the visible church. I should say not the not the true believers who are really holding to the word of God. Yeah. You know, Janet, in my book, the the unlimited submission, folks can go to my website at danfisherbrr.com to get the thing. But in the book, 
Uh, I, I, as you know, I, I quote preachers from our history who were alive during this terrible uh, upheaval in the 1770s. And these preachers were railing in their pulpits about this. Today, most pastors are silent. They've been convinced of the lie of separation of church and state, and they don't want to cause any commotion in their congregation. So they just don't, they don't touch these issues. But if I can, let me just quickly tell you a story of a pastor who lived in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Today, that is part of Boston. His name was Samuel Phillips Payson. He was a Congregationalist, and he was against any kind of armed resistance to the British. That is, until Lexington took place, the Battle of Lexington. And that afternoon, Samuel Phillips Payson, the pastor who was against armed revolt, got his flintlock musket and went out with hundreds of others and lined the road that led from Concord back to Boston. And the historians say that he fought like a wild man, because once American blood had been spilled, that was a bridge too far. So for Samuel Phillips Payson, there was a point, there was a break point. And I think for Americans, we're going to have to decide where that is. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about everybody going and getting their guns and we want to shoot people. No. We all want a peaceful solution to this. But Janet, somewhere there's going to have to be a break point. And Americans are going to have to say, do we want a republic or do we not? Yeah, it will come, And it's coming at the exact time where you have a lot of these even evangelical elites yelling about Christian nationalism being a terrible thing. Boy, these people talk about being on the wrong side of history, Dan. It just makes my blood boil to see this going on. And it's so, I'm sorry, but it's demonic. It really is. Well, it really is. As you well know, America stands in the way of this globalist conglomerate. And if America isn't taken down, we can't have a global government. And we're the ones standing in the way. And here's the deal, Janet. It's the conservative Christian who is public enemy number one. We're the ones standing in the way. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. I mean, and this is the point. I am not willing at this point, Dan, and I would assume you're not either. I am not at the point of giving up hope and giving up any sense of fighting back simply because I'm just going to take the easy way out and say, well, we're in the last days. I guess it's over. I just don't believe in doing that because you don't know when the we're in the last days, certainly. But we do not. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back. It might be a thousand years from now. And this fight was a critical battle for us to fight in order to preserve liberty. In my book on the Black Robe Regiment, I, I include a few little excerpts from letters that pastors wrote back home while they were out in the field. And one of the pastor's letters just sticks out to me. And he says to his family, he says, if our cause fails, I will be hanged for my actions. He understood what was at stake, yet he went anyway. They stood against the greatest military of their day. They were unorganized farmers and merchants and blacksmiths, but they had something in their hearts that they believed so strongly, that they believed was of God, Janet, that they were willing to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Yes, that's right. And and they did it. And we need that spirit in America today, whatever the cost. You know, I'm 61. 
I've lived most of my life. My life's not over by any, uh, you know, uh, shot. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I've lived most of my life. What I'm fighting for is my children yep. and my grandchildren. There you go. That's perfect, Dan. And we are out of time, but a wonderful book. It's called Unlimited Submission by Pastor Dan Fisher. I just admire you so much, Dan. I appreciate your fight and your commitment to the Word of God. Thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you, Janet. God bless you. God bless you, too. Keep praying for America and pray for the church as well, that we would be faithful to the Lord no matter what. We'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today. Thank you for being with us.